The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I'm happy to be with you this evening. Uh, I don't get over here to IMC as much as I used to. Uh, I live in Oakland, so it's nice to come once in a while. I like to hang out here with you all. Sometimes um, some of us can have an idea of as meditators or for those of you who identify as Buddhists, we don't all, as what Buddhists or meditators, how we're supposed to be or act or what that's supposed to look like. You know, we're supposed to be um, calm, equanimous, hearts open to all beings. Maybe we might have some concept of what it's supposed to be. And I want to explore actually tonight this idea, first of all, like we think there's some way we should be. I want to explore two things, this idea of should. There isn't, the, the bottom line is, there is no way you should uh, feel or experience you should have. And I also want to come back to uh, see if we can explore an understanding of equanimity. Those two things are related. You know, um, well, I do think there are some things I would use the word should. I think we should try to be kind to each other. And we should try, you know, we try our best. That's all we can do, right? Try to live in a way that creates less suffering in the world, creates more well-being in the world for ourselves and for others. Sometimes we use a, a, a structure, a system to support us, if you know what's called the, the precepts, that falls under morality or living, trying to live a life, a virtuous life. So I'm not saying there are no shoulds. Um, but you know, you can come in here, for example, and um, maybe you can do a meditation in which you're radiating loving kindness for all beings. And it can be very sincere and genuine. And you go out the door encounter actual beings and um, not always so easy, right? Not always so easy. And so then what do we do with that? And you're not doing anything wrong. It can just be challenging for all of us. So the, and, we, you know, uh, so we want to have some discernment or wisdom in how we hold just, you know, our good intentions and aspirations and the times when our hearts and minds really are uh, really in a beautiful place. And then also for the times when um, it's challenging and difficult, which, um, you know, can happen for all of us, uh, both in our own individual life circumstances, but also with what's going on in the larger community, society, and the world. Once someone came to me who was very, very upset because um, someone she had lived with for 12 years, lived with this person for 12 years, and she came home some, one day, completely unexpected, and there was a note. The man she had lived with left, left her. So I didn't get in into anything about, I don't know anything about the details or why or how it can be that, anyway, but that's what happened. So she was pretty devastated, as you could imagine. And in addition to the pain of you know, and dealing with that loss and just the hurt and the 
confusion and everything. She also was judging herself for being a bad Buddhist because she said, well, you know, I'm supposed to have equanimity. Let me ask you something. If someone came to you and said, you know, I was, I've been in this committed relationship for 12 years. And then out of nowhere, no warning, I came home and there was a note. But, you know, I've been following the teachings on non-clinging and so um, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, would you believe it? No. No. But she had this should that she's supposed to be. That particular should was pretty unrealistic, I think. So one thing I want to say, I think the starting point I want to suggest for all of this is what's actually real and true in us. I'm not talking about our actions. I still hope we all, probably you wouldn't come to a place like this if you uh, didn't want to live in a, in a way that, um, you know, created more happiness, well-being in the world and, and less suffering. So... Um, you may hold that as an intention and an aspiration. And we can fall into, you know, it's easy to find all the ways in which we fall short. Right? And I'll come back to that in a bit. Um, but there is no supposed to, any experience or way that you're supposed to be inside. You're, you're not supposed to be equanimous or supposed to anything. I want to offer that uh, the starting place for everything is what's actually happening, what's real and true, whatever that is, and there's just whatever it is. We want to we want to know that all of the Dharma, really, you could view it as, and it's really quite simple. What's actually happening, and then what's needed. Now, most of us need more details uh, uh, to help us, but that's it. And so if we can have enough mindfulness and awareness moment by moment just to know what's happening instead of being lost in it or caught up or in reactivity and just know what's going on, during the times when your mind is at ease, your heart's open, what's, there's nothing needed. You just live. You just live. And when difficulties arise, if we can know that, rather than fight, falling into judgment with ourselves or finding everything that's wrong or all the ways in which we're not good enough or we fall short or what, however it might be for us, a more kind attitude might be just, oh, look what's arising here. Hmm, there's some ill will in the heart. What's needed? Well, and then that just depends on what you're... In. I use the word intention and aspiration interchangeably. Maybe there's different connotations, but I tend to use them interchangeably. What's your deepest, highest intentions for how you want to live, the qualities you want to develop, how you want to show up in the world? What's your highest aspirations? And then if we can stay in touch with that, that can help inform at least the direction we want to aim. We may not know exactly what to do in every circumstance, right? You know, there can be a real misunderstanding around this word equanimity. Many of the uh, Dharma teachings, if you look at some of the ways that the teachings are presented and preserved and structured in various lists 
and compilations of, of instructions or teachings, many of them uh, culminate in equanimity. There's one, you don't have to know all these lists, some of you might or you may not, but there's one called the seven factors of awakening or the seven factors of enlightenment. Very, very important list of these good qualities to develop in the heart, in the mind. Culminates in equanimity. Um, there's these specialized meditative states called jhana. And some of you have heard of that, some of you don't know what it is, and that's fine, it's not important, but uh, it's these deeper states of concentration. Um, when you get into the, uh, the kind of further stages in jhana, equanimity comes to, to the foreground. The Brahma Viharas, many of you know what that is. It's these, or they call the divine abidings. And there's four of them. Loving kindness, compassion, number two. Number three, uh, joy or happiness at the happiness of others. And number four, equanimity. It culminates in equanimity. So many of these... So this equanimity is, it seems to be a pretty important uh, piece. And I want to tie it in with what I was just saying about this uh, no should or special way that we should feel because I'm proposing that from the deepest state of equanimity does not entail having to feel equanimous. Well, how can that be? That doesn't make sense. It seems a little nonsensical. So let me just uh, explore that a little bit. So first of all, there can be a range of connotations that each of us have around what, is, what do we mean by equanimity. And um, so we want to be careful here because for some of us it could mean, you know, I'm just untouched by anything. I'm so uh, balanced and nothing shakes me off, uh, uh, off that balance. And some of the words in the traditional old Poly, in the Pali language and the way they get translated, you'll hear these terms like to be dispassionate, um, detached, uh, disenchanted is some words you have. That, that those, that when a disenchantment, we don't get pulled by things. We're in a dispassionate place. We're detached. But we should actually explore, you know, when, if you're... Uh, dispassionate, you know, we might think unfeeling. It just means not, you're not caught up in the passions, that's all. And I'm not judging whether you should feel passion in your life or not, but um, what can happen sometimes if, uh, you know, some of us may have had the experience of being in love, some of us may not have had that experience, but if you ever have had that experience... What can happen is, you know, you meet someone and you're caught in the passions. And we're actually not seeing clearly when that happens. Because what can happen a few months later when it settles down? And hopefully it settles, maybe in, if, it's, if it's going well, it settles into maybe a deeper love. And there could still be strong feelings and everything, but it, it gets more balanced. When we're just, you know, swept away in love, you know, and then... Th- Three months later, all those little things you thought were cute and adorable now are annoyances or whatever, you know, because your perspective can shift when we're in the passion. So to be dispassionate just means we're not at the, just completely at the effect of, of the passions. It doesn't mean you don't have to feel any passion for life or anything, right? So we can see more clearly, that's all. Even when we do have strong feelings. To be... Um, disenchanted 
that can be something about, you know, the, the texts talk about becoming disenchanted. And that can feel like it has a connotation of being, well, you're kind of let down or disappointed. It just means to no longer be enchanted. You know, in the old fairy tales, you know, the sorcerer would cast a spell and the person would be enchanted. They've lost touch with reality. And then hopefully it has a happy ending. The spell is broken. They're no longer enchanted. They're not disappointed or let down. They're just back to reality. So these terms that are used are just about just seeing what's real and true. And sometimes, this is one that I think can get confused for equanimity. There's this word that gets used a lot in the old text, Buddhist text, detachment. Detachment. And actually, I think there can be a place for detachment. That's an important place. Sometimes we need to detach. I happen to need to detach from reading um, polls of the presidential race. Uh, I need to detach from that. I mean, I think I'm balanced. I only check them no more than six or eight times a day. So I'm okay, I'm okay. <laughs> Maybe I could use a little detachment here. I might come back to that in a minute. My wife said, don't use political examples tonight. <laughs> but we'll have to see about that. <laughs> Especially on the talk on equanimity. It's an interesting thing. I've been a meditator for um, just this month, actually, 46 years. That's a chunk of time, right? Not, make, not making any special claims, but um, like anything, when you apply yourself, uh, you, I think I've had a lot of good fruit. I've considered to be utterly transformative in my life, but am I, gonna, am I going to say I'm at a, a perfect equanimity that, that can't be, um, you know, unshakable? No. But I'll come back in a minute about that. Because it's not important about how equanimous, it's how do we work with what's actually happening. And so when we're not equanimous, that's okay. We can work with it because we know what our intention and aspiration is. So to be detached, that can, can be useful sometimes, but it can have a connotation of being disconnected. That's where the danger is. You know, if we're so equanimous, it's like I'm the dispassionate, unaffected witness so all this messiness of life doesn't affect me. It's there, and I've got some space, and I'm over here as the witness. Unmoved, unfazed, untouched. Well, what is it we do? I don't, I don't know, know you. There's a few people here I've, I've known, but I don't know anyone here well. Most of you I have never met before, so I don't know exactly what you're doing when you're meditating, but... Uh, once or twice during the sit. I don't know why I do this, but I just, I'm, I open my eyes and I just kind of scan the room like this. I'm not staring at any one particular person, so it's cool, but, you know, I just kind of, I don't know, I'm sort of just taking the room. I just kind of go about, about this speed, and I just kind of look around and look around. Okay, everybody's here. Everybody, nobody's freaking out, all right? And I go back and I meditate. Maybe do it a couple of times. I don't, I'm not sure why, but it's just habit. And I noticed that most people are sitting here with their eyes closed, so I'm assuming you're doing some kind of practice of bringing your attention inward. You're not disconnecting, we're actually connecting with ourselves. We're doing the opposite of disconnecting in our meditation. And in fact, for many of us, 
uh, if you're practicing in a different way than what I'm about to describe, that's fine. But for many of us, uh, uh, there can be many forms of meditation, but it entails bringing our, trying to cultivate some mindfulness, bringing the attention inward, doing some practice to help the mind steady. Sometimes you'll hear the word concentration and become more undistracted and steady. And that happens over time. If, if you're still waiting for that to happen in your life, just do the best you can, stick with it. It comes. Uh, and uh, it's not like it has to come. There's nothing that has to happen, but these are the things that happen. We, and our awareness is clear, so we're actually more aware than ever about what's going on. We're more co- intimately connected. We're not disconnecting, we're connecting. If you go, if you're fortunate enough to have someone in life whom you care about, who cares about you, and you were to go to that person and say, I'm detached from you, I I just don't think that's going to go over very well, probably. (laughs) If you said, I'm not clinging to you, I bet they would appreciate it. You get the difference there? And so a word I like to use in place of any of those is to be disentangled disentangled. That's, that you don't find that in the translations. Other people may use it, but it's just the word I, I've come to use. What is it to be disentangled from things? That's the place more of equanimity, right? You don't have to be disconnected from your experience. You can be more intimate with yourself and with all experience and all of life. These are these cliches we talk about, but really that's kind of where we're heading. But in a way, what would it be like to be in, in all of life, all the, the good and the bad and the pleasant and the unpleasant in a way that's less entangled, that's disentangled. So that, to me, is, is the exploration that, that I think can be interesting. But then it's like, well, how do we disentangle? In other words, how do we get to a place where we have enough freedom, this word freedom and liberation, right? So we're, we can carry it into our lives, but we're not just at the effect of things. You know, it's one of these cliches about we talk about finding inner peace. Well, it's, the, it's really what it's pointing to that's not totally at the effect of what's happening so we can start to make a shift so that our well-being and happiness, it, you know, how it is for most of us, uh, you may or may not be aware, but as a, uh, a fellow human being, I feel pretty confident I can say this. Remember I said I... I Recognize, I, I, I hope this is, doesn't sound arrogant, but will you tell me if you think this is tr- true? I think for just human beings, what is it we're all doing? We're all doing different things, but there's one commonality. We're trying to have more of what we want happen to us in our lives, more pleasant, and less of what we don't want, less unpleasant, Right? I bet there's nobody here who's trying to have, saying, no, no, I want to have more of all that I don't want, more unpleasant happen to me in my life, and less pleasant, less of what I want my life to look like. Nobody. We may or may not be conscious of this, and and I don't think it's anything wrong. I think this is what it is to be a a living creature. You know, if if we got the right kind of bacteria, any of you who are... Uh, microbiologist, I'm probably not getting this exact right, but I think it makes the point. You get the certain kind of bacteria, say it doesn't like light, and you've got your microscope and you shine the light, it'll try to kind of squirm away from the light, or it'll come towards the light, or you put the right nutrients. It, this is what living beings do. And I don't think we're going to stop. 
or should stop. You're not going to stop taking care of yourself. There was a great Thai meditation master, Ajahn Chah. Uh, he died, I don't know how many years ago. And he tells a story in which at his monastery there's a young monk and they live in these huts called kutis. They each have their own little hut. And a storm came and blew the roof down. Like, maybe it was a thatched roof. And, and so it had collapsed. He had the walls and then this half-collapsed roof. And someone came to Ajahn Chah and told him that, you know, the monk's not repairing his, his uh, roof, his, um, the, the hut. Ajahn Chah went and said, you know, what's going on? You've got to fix the hut. What do you do? He goes, well, I just meditate and, you know, and I just, I'm accepting things as they are. And when, you know, when the sun comes, it kind of will go under the collapsed roof a little. And Ajahn Chah said, said you know, what are you doing? You've got to take care of things. And uh, the monk says, you know, I don't know what you want from me. I let go even to this degree and you're still not hot, happy. And Ajahn Chah said, well, if you've let go to that, why do you even bother moving out of the sun and kind of getting under the thing? He says, you've got to take care of yourself. This is, you, you, and then he turned to others and he, in his talk he said, some people can be so stupid like this. You're not going to stop living. You should still like eat more fruits and vegetables and less junk food. And I don't know what, what it, your own version of how you take care of yourself in life. You're not just going to, you know, you, 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 we need to earn a living and we want to care to attend to our relationships and our health. And, and uh, uh, so all of that's there. You don't stop that. But I think all the Dharma is really asking, you don't stop being a human being, but the Dharma is just asking us to do one thing. We, we're trying to get more of what we want, less of what we don't want, whether we're conscious of it or not. And sometimes you do get what you want. Sometimes you don't. And sometimes you get what you don't want. And so one way I, I, I ask the question is, what are you going to do with you get what you get? in that moment. What are you going to do? Because you're going to get what you get. You're going to try your best. And it's the old Christian serenity prayer, really. I mean, for real. And I've got a block about this because I can't remember it. But it's basically saying, you know, it's something about having the courage or to have some kind of quality, whatever the, the adjective is. Please help me out here. To, to the courage to change the things you can. And maybe it's the serenity to accept the, how am I doing? Serenity to accept the things you, you can't. And the wisdom, discernment to know the difference. That's the whole Dharma, right? And everything else is this, how do we actualize that in our lives? Well, we need to develop qualities of the heart and the mind, and this is what the practice is, right? So one other way to say this is, you could think of the Dharma as, rather than our happiness or our well-being, being completely at the effect of, or at the mercy of, circumstances, external, you know, what the, the experience we're having, we can start to make a shift where our well-being and happiness comes more from how are we relating to what the experience is, not in the, so much just the experience itself. That's something we, we can really, that can be more of a reliable refuge, right? We can, and we start to train ourselves. So you say, you sit and meditate, and you know, before it gets excruciating, maybe a little bit, you maybe get a little knee pain. It's light. 
And then there's the times where, you know, you want to stretch your knee out and leg out, and we want to have those times. But there's also the times, you know, take care of yourself for sure, but there's also the times when, you know, I, I can be present with this. Well, yeah, it's unpleasant. You, we start to train ourselves, we learn, and we start to expand the circle to contain more and more of the experiences of our, of our lives for which we can rest at peace. So it's making a shift like that. And then if we have the discernment, the wisdom, and the kindness for ourselves, instead of beating ourselves up because we don't think we're doing it well enough or whatever, we can just see life really as more of our teacher because it's just, it, keeps, it just keeps going. You can't stop it. And it, life just keeps happening and happening. And it's just self-changing. And so we have a lot of opportunities to see then where are the places where I really can be equanimous? I can be kind and loving to myself and others. And then we learn and say, wow, I really can do that. And that can gladden our hearts and minds. And we get to see all the places where we can't do it. Not that we should, getting back to that, but where it's just like, this is kind of outside my circle. It's gotten a little too much. And then that's, that's okay, because there's an equanimity there, because there's two kinds of equanimity. If you really are just feeling calm and steady and peaceful and tranquil, that is an equanimity in that moment, sure. But it's dependent on having to feel calm and, and tranquil. There's a deeper kind of equanimity that's not dependent on anything. That, that um, uh, even when the storm clouds of the heart and mind come through, and you feel it, you experience it, you're not disconnected. It's all experience, but we're, we're disentangled. We can be present with it. So here's my political example. But first I have to preface it. I think one of the dangers in the Dharma community is, is that uh, there can be a conscious or not so con- conscious assumption that most people who tend to come around these seats these scenes tend to be more politically liberal or progressive. And I think statistically that's probably true. It's not everybody. Matter of fact, in a, just from having been around a long time, I know that in a room this size there'd be people who, uh, there are some Trump supporters in this room right now. For real. And so the example I'm about to use isn't about who's right or wrong in the politics. We want this to be a safe place for, 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 for all of us, right? And some of us, we just view, have a different view. I have my experience, you have your experience. I want to make sure it's safe and inclusive and all that. So having said that, this is why my wife said, just don't do it. But, uh, <laughs> but I hope saying that, and if I say Trump, you know, just, I don't know, you, you, you insert Clinton, everything I say will work. Okay. All right. Civilizations, whole civilizations have come and gone. That we, whole world that we know very little about. The ancient Sumerians, you know, there's a whole uh, epic of Gilgamesh, the whole epic poem about the, the you know, what was that, 4,000 to 4,500 years ago, the Sumerians. Or, they don't know that much about the whole society. It was a whole world. Everybody, it was so real, and it was real, and it was their lives, and now it's just gone. So that's a certain perspective when we get a bigger perspective that can help. However, if you have to 
think about Gilgamesh and the Sumerians in order to have some peace in mind of what's going on for us today, you're, you know maybe you're, you're needing a lot of extra help. So I'll just share with you, like I'm, I, people who know me uh, would say I'm, I think I have a good degree of equanimity, pretty strong, and I'm pretty, I'm like this pretty much all the time, and really, you know, the, I feel like the, the, the presence from all the meditation carries through, and the wakefulness, and all these benefits are there, and it feels like the Dharma is very alive. And right along with all that, um, I have a lot of fear. Uh, I'm not very peaceful these days, and, um, you know, check in with me after, what is it, no, second Tuesday in November or something, and, and, and uh, maybe, I don't know how I'll be doing, we'll have to see there. It's a place where my heart's not totally free, right? Uh, I really do check uh, certain websites about, uh, not the national polls, that doesn't mean anything, uh, state polls, statistical analysis, there's like three or four of my favorite ones. I don't like the ones that are, that, um, are, are not giving me the number I like to see on percentage. But others, like, I like them because the percentages are a little better. So I won't go off too much into the actual politics, but I just wanted to uh, uh, say that, you know, there's a number of candidates running, of course. There's uh, Libertarians, and there's the Green Party, and there's other miners and candidates. But one of the two major political parties, you know, and if you were, you know, I happen to love Bernie Sanders a lot. Matter of fact, I saw a bumper sticker that summed it up for me. I loved this. It was somebody had made the, they took the whole bumper, they had cut up different stickers and, to get the words that said, loving Bernie, voting for Hillary. <laughs> so that, that may or may not be your thing. You know, you can just be different than me. You don't have to, it's fine, you know, you could just, but that's just where I'm at. So I'm just sharing that. And, uh, anyway, I'll, that's enough of that. But, um, so what do I do? What do I do? Well, I'll tell you how I approach it. Um, ill will can arise in my mind still. That is doing me a favor. Because I'll share with you, we talk about aspirations. Um, still have a few minutes. Um, I have an aspiration or an intention, one of my mind, that I take very seriously, which is to live in a way that my heart never closes off to anyone, Period. And that's real aspiration. When I find the places where there's more work to be done, I actually view it as doing me a favor. Now, I have many places to find where work needs to be done that does me a favor. So if this presidential thing would go away, uh, that would be okay because I'll have other opportunities to see, to see where my learning edges are. But I, I do... <laughs> I do... Uh, I do hold it... Uh, I do think of it as a learning edge, not like there's something wrong with me. And if we can hold it with some kindness for ourselves and see, this is teaching me, this is my teacher, that person who I do not care for, who shall not be named who's running for president. <laughs> he really is a great teacher for me because when I the feeling is not that I want to love the guy. That's not the feeling. 
but I don't have to fall in love with him, but what might it be like if my heart didn't close off? It doesn't mean you still repair the roof on your house. We've got to stop, th- stop things, and you want, so- you want to get what's right and good, and, and we want to be involved in society. You've got to fix your roof when it's blown in. Can I do it in a way? So you don't stop and just become passive. Can I do it in a way in which I'm disentangled and where uh, my heart doesn't close off? That's different than, than being in this gush of love, but my heart's just not closed off. If I can do it, great. If I can't, that's an interesting place to hang out, and I can view it as a learning edge. And that changes my relationship with it. And that's an equanimity that allows me to be present. Because when fear arises in me, and I've been experiencing uh, uh, my share of fear, I've got to stop looking at those graphs of where Hillary's going down and he's going up. It just makes fear in my mind. Maybe I need to disconnect a little. That might be what's wise and skillful. I'm being trying to be humorous a little, but I really am... Um, Right? So, um, you know, I can see that uh, the equanimity place comes is that I'm not uh, going, trying to put my head in the sand. I want to be connected in society and, and in life and be a contributing member of society and be, be awake to what's happening. So I'm not going to hide away and I'm going to try to have a balance, but, but also ha- we have to not be afraid. And if we can see everything as our teacher, we really aren't afraid. It's teaching me. And whatever happens in a month, in 50 days, or whatever it is, it might be a tough teacher. But I know what my aspiration is, is for my heart not to close off. That's not going to change. And so, uh, um, I'm not saying I don't have any fear, but I'm not, I'm not afraid of that. And I'm going to take what comes and work with it the best I can because I'm in touch with my aspiration or intention. So what I want to leave you with is that I hope um, you will, uh, on your own, maybe you've already done this, is everything can come also back down to intention. And it's worthwhile to take time. Maybe some people do it every day. They wake up in the morning or whatever, and they reflect, like, what are my deepest, I mean, for real, deepest or highest intentions or aspirations? For the kind of person I want to be, what I want my life to be about, what's my life really about? You know, I'm kind of thinking from Dharma qualities, but whatever it is for you, and be in touch with that so that can inform, and then when the going gets tough and I'm getting buffeted around, that's my, um, uh, my touchstone, to go back to that. When I don't feel loving, you know, when it feels like, you know, or whatever, it's pretty nasty or whatever it is, I go back to my touchstone. And when I don't want to go back to my touchstone, and I do. So I always want to offer that to you. It's something you can experiment with. Find, if you haven't already done so, finding the place where uh, 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 really being uh, alive to your intentions and your aspirations in the deepest or highest sense and the more you can be in touch with it, then it can carry you even in the difficult times. So, you know, maybe some of you have already done that, but if you haven't, it's worth uh, reflecting on, yeah? And that can support us uh, even when, you know, the, the storm clouds of our hearts and minds come in. You don't need support when, when things are going smoothly. Right? So that, that can support us.
And finally, for all the times when, you know, as one teacher, what very wise teacher once told me when I was judging myself harshly, and he pointed me back to rule. It's not how well or poorly we manifest. It doesn't matter. That's just the conditioned patterns of your mind. That's what we're working on. We've all got wholesome and unwholesome conditioned patterns. But uh, what's, what's more, what, if you're going to judge yourself, a more accurate is not by how well you're showing up or doing it or manifesting, but what's your aspiration or intention. That speaks more deeply true about every one of us. So even if I tend to be crabby, but my intention is, you know, that's just the pattern of my mind. But deeper down, it's like, well, I, I want to be someone who's more kind and loving or whatever it is. Uh, let me work on it. And we just hold, it, hold ourselves with kindness. Yeah. And in that way, it doesn't, I mean, it matters, but it doesn't matter so much how well we show up as long as we stay in touch with our attention, intention when you can remember. And when you can't remember, don't worry about it. When you've totally lost your mindfulness, you're just totally caught up in everything, you don't even know. <laughs> you know, sometimes when people lose their mindfulness, someone will say, uh, oh, that person, they, they went to sleep, they went unconscious. And we know what they mean, it's okay to talk like that, but you didn't go to sleep and you're awake, you're conscious. You're just totally lost in what's happening and you don't even know. Now, hopefully you don't cause too much breakage out there during those times. Uh, and that's why we keep aiming ourselves towards the wholesome more and more. So when we're on automatic pilot, what automatically habitually comes out is better. So you do the best you can. You have to take a long-term perspective. But don't worry about it when you've... You don't have to struggle like, oh, I have to be mindful in daily life. Uh, uh, that's a lot of work. Just, you know, just relax. When you're gone, you can't stop it. You don't even know. Here's, here's my way to practice mindfulness in daily life, for whatever's work. This is different than what some other people will say. So you have to see if it will work for you. Just be relaxed and at ease. Try to keep your intention and aspiration in mind as much as you can remember. And when you're just lost on automatic pilot and gone, you don't even know, so just don't worry about it. And when you're back, you don't have to try to be mindful. You just are back. Use that time as well as you can in a relaxed way. And then you don't have to put like a million sticking notes everywhere. To Every time you see the yellow note, it'll remind me to be mindful. Every time the phone rings, I have to take three breaths. And I mean, you can do that. Uh, you know, but it, it's fine. Except then you'll just forget or, you know, you'll have this. I know someone, they did that. They put these yellow post-it notes here and there and then every time they'd see one they were supposed to remember to wake up out of the trance and be mindful and they said but it didn't take long they just didn't see the note they just didn't even notice the notes anymore when you're gone be gone when you're back you're back it's relaxed and then do practices like we do here formal practices to take time you know if you're able to in our busy lives when you can't come here once a week if you have a daily practice whatever it is and that will help strengthen the time so naturally more and more of the time you are here and awake. And naturally more and more of the time when you are awake, you actually are able to turn yourself from the unwholesome to the, from negativity to open-hearted love more. Without being fake, you can really make the shift. And we're lost less deeply or not as long 
and then we just are heading on a good trajectory. Yeah. So we can kind of relax, kind of relax. So anyway, I hope that's uh, useful and helpful. And um, actually, I apologize because I wasn't watching the clock, and it's about two minutes to nine, and I was going to open it up for if there were any comments or questions. Um, but we're up against the clock, so... Um, well, I just, time got away from me, so sorry for that, um, uh, but we don't have time for that. So why don't we do this? We have two minutes, and we want one minute now. We want to re- re- respect the clock and end on time at nine. Okay, so let's shift. That was a lot of words coming, and let's see if we can do this in one minute. Please, uh, I invite you to take just a few breaths and a few moments, to, as we did in the beginning, Perhaps connect in with your body. Notice what's happening in the states of your heart and mind. Maybe you came into the evening from from your daily life with something going on. Maybe here during the sitting or during the talk, some things you liked, connected, things you didn't like, whatever's happening. And then noticing how you're relating with what's happening. And even if you're tired or hungry or you're minds in a cranky space or whatever. See if you can bring a sense of letting be. Just the best you can. That's not always easy. And if there's something going on for which it's not so easy to let be, bring some acceptance for that place in you. A place that's not relaxing or allowing or letting be. You know, letting ourselves be, allowing ourselves to be who and what we are is a great act of, that alone is a great act of kindness and compassion for ourselves. Through the power of our sincere, wholesome, good aspirations, intentions, may we be uh, motivated, inspired to wise and skillful action And through our wise actions, may we be be a light in the world, a force leading to less suffering for ourselves and for others, and for more well-being for ourselves and for others. May all beings everywhere be happy. May all beings be peaceful. And may all beings come to an end of suffering.